What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my loves. Bridie here, and I am so excited to introduce to you our guest this week on Turn Me On Podcast, Carrie Cohen. Uh, Carrie Cohen is a doctor of clinical psychology and works as a licensed therapist in Portland, Oregon. She is the author of the memoirs Loose Girl, Lush, Seeing Ezra, and Girl Trouble. And she has a brand new book out now, launched as of September 21st, called Crazy For You, Breaking the Spell of Sex and Love Addiction. We had such a great time chatting with Carrie, and there were all kinds of really neat points that came up as we uh, went along. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts um, and questions and comments on it. Just so you know, um, Carrie joined us from Mexico, so there are a couple of spots in which the uh, audio recording due to the internet reception is just a little bit uh you know what it is sometimes so know that that's coming but otherwise prepare yourselves for a really wonderful conversation and jeremy and i will see you on the other side Uh, 
Um, all right, well let's uh, let's get right into it. I'm I'm really excited. We we're we're sitting here with Carrie Cohen. Um, Carrie, you're a, a, a correct me if I'm wrong here. A Psy D, which which stands for uh, a doctor of psychology. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, it's a doctor. Of, it's a it's a doctor of. Um, Yes, it's a doctor of psychology. I mean, I think I think it's just it's people are always like, "Ooh, you know, you have your PhD," and I'm like, "I don't. I really don't." That's <laughs> actually so much more impressive than what yeah, I have. Right? What's an LPC? That's uh, just means you're licensed to give therapy, oh, okay. that, and that's what it's called. I am assuming throughout the U.S., but in Oregon, it's licensed yeah. licensed professional counselor. Got you. Okay, I, I'm always fascinated by uh, post nominals because I. I I, there's so many of them and I never know what any of them are, but, but, uh, side D I think I, I think I nailed it. So <laughs> I'm going to pat myself on the back there. Uh, Carrie, yeah. you, you're also an author and you've, you've written a number of books. Um, and I'm holding your, your latest book, which is, which is coming September. Uh, so this month, September 21st, um, which at this point now, this episode might already the book might already be out by the time this episode comes out. So first of all, congratulations mm. uh, on another book. It's called Thank Crazy you. For You. And um, and the subtitle here is Breaking the Spell of Sex and Love Addiction. Now, I'm really excited to get into this because uh, we have had, I mean, over the last, whatever, four or five years we've been doing this podcast, we've had a number of people on to talk about a whole slew of different topics but uh at one point sex addiction addiction came up and i believe we were talking it was very early on that was the first yeah. year even of, of podcasting yeah and i believe we were talking to dr james cantor james cantor um who's been on the show a couple of times and i remember saying i don't know much about sex addiction mm-hmm. but i remember I, I if i remember correctly in that conversation i said i said something about sex addiction and he he jumped right in immediately and was like, well, 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 hold on. Sex addiction isn't really a thing. And I was like, uh, huh? Like what? And I didn't realize that there was a, there was this, there's a sort of like debate in the, the realm of psychology and science that puts forward this, um, this notion that, you know, there's one school of thought that sex addiction is a real addiction that people suffer from. Who I, you know, I've spoken to several people now out of the two podcasts that we do or that I do, who who identify as someone who struggles with or has struggled with sex addiction. But then there's this other school of thought that that does not see it as a true um, diagnosable addiction. And isn't that just because of the DSM five? Because it doesn't categorize them in the same way. Well, I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> so, oh, I'll tell you. so, so now, yeah, the carries here. That. Yeah. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, um, such a, a great controversy and mm-hmm. should remain because, um, I personally land somewhere in between there um, and, you know, and also let me, let me be clear when we're talking about, um, you're using the term sex addiction mm. and I, um, in that book purposely, um, sort of lumped all of the various like sex, love relationship, um, romance under 
under the sex and love addiction spectrum. Mm-hmm. And also for, for a number of reasons that I imagine we'll get into, but just to stick with this one, um, it's because it is, it is and isn't an addiction. It's not, it, is, it is an addiction to some extent in that we do have process addictions, right? Um, and meaning process addictions are um, addictions not to substances, but to behaviors. So gambling is like the one, is the main one that's in the DSM. Mm. Um, but it's so different from even the other process addictions because we're dealing with existential themes, really. We're dealing with with things, everything inside of sex and love and and relationships. These, this isn't really an area where you can say, well, that person just has an addiction mm. because it's so much more complicated than that. Obviously, um, there's no way, you know, it's not like gambling, (laughs) you know, where you are doing something very specific and the addiction is happening because of the partial reinforcement of the, of the gambling itself. Partial reinforcement is, can definitely be involved in sex and love addiction too, but there is sort of an addictive process neurobiologically that happens um, that does mean that we could approach it in some ways as addiction mm. but um but i do, i largely don't in my practice um and also you know just even what it is like you're saying many people only for men women women will um women will come into my practice and say, um, I don't know what's wrong with me. There's something wrong with me because I can't have, um, you know, what I want in relationships or have relationships or, or I have, you know, lots of like, like discreet or, or even not discreet, tons of sex with, you know, different people. So there's obviously something wrong with me, which I think is interesting because, you know, the men are kind of, claim this addiction to sex and women are like, there's something wrong with me. Mm. Um, you know, because again, because of those issues around sex and love, we can't separate it from the, all the cultural uh, messages and this, you know, the diaspora we live inside of, there's just no way. Right. So I think that question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like, Wait, well, I'll say this, the reason that you, I, I forgot to say, actually, I didn't actually directly address your question. The reason it's controversial is because it should be controversial because there's too many cultural um, assumptions about that there's some way to have sex or some way to have a relationship um, and with whom and how many that is um, is okay and the, and the others are somehow abnormal or mm. must have a problem. So that's why the, that's the controversy. The controversy matters and is important because that's true. And lots of people do um, experience themselves potentially as sex and love addicts um, because we can talk the same amount of time about love and, and mm. all the cultural stuff around that. Um, and really they're just maybe um, feeling like they have to do a, a, behave a certain way in order to not be stigmatized in their own community or whatever. 
Right. Yeah. I, I guess when like when I think about the word addiction, um, you know, I like so I'll use my example. Uh, I'll use a personal exa- personal example in my life. Like I I I think if I was to write down, <laughs> I hate that I'm saying this, but it's very true. If I was to write down over the span of a month how many drinks, uh, how many units of alcohol that I have mm-hmm. per week over the f- span of four weeks, um, for sure there would probably be a. a, a a uh, physician out there who would say this this qualifies as alcohol abuse right, right. um uh but but i i can say with with like full certainty and and i think i you know the people in my life can also say that at this point in my life um and and up to this point in my life the the amount of alcohol that i drink throughout the span of a week isn't causing Mm-hmm. A lot of stress in my life. It's not causing any, you know, any problems with my work. It's not causing problems with my relationship. Um, and so when I think about addiction and like this idea, this notion of addiction being diagnosed to someone, I, I think of it as as a a thing that is bringing harm to your life or a thing that is like bringing a lot of stress to your life. And so I can totally see how sex and or love um, can bring on that sort of stressor in your life to a point where it's causing harm in your day-to-day life. You know, if you are someone who, I, you know, I don't know, like j- just to throw out like a random sort of hi- hypothetical, like if I was at a point in my life where I, I was so so intensely promiscuous that I was doing things that, you know, behind my partner's back that was, that, you know, was hurting their feelings and I'm racked with guilt. And it's the only thing I can think about because I'm fucking anybody and everyone that I want, that I want and can. And it's like bringing a bunch of harm to my life. Yeah. To me, that would, that makes sense to call that a, a, a sex addiction. Like that's a, it's problematic in my life and, and it needs to be, or at least I would want it to be resolved so that I'm no longer living with, you know, all of the issues that are coming up with this thing. So to me, it makes total sense to be able to call something like sex addiction, a problem that someone could foreseeably have if, if they were in a position where it was bringing that stress into their life. Yeah. Then that's a good example. Um, because the, you know, the key thing in that scenario is that is that you, the hypothetical you who is doing this, was um, wants wants to stop but can't. Yeah, so that sounds like other addictions, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I feel like that is not something that is. I feel like that is something that is experienced by mm-hmm. folks, right? Like that is. Yeah. I, I I think we've all known someone, you know, in our lives who has been in that kind of situation. I mean, fuck, I've been in that scenario. What. The, the, like the, the, just, just the, the desire to like being so promiscuous that it's kind of like having a, an effect on my daily life. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm kind of curious about how else it presents because that's like seems like a very clear example. Like if someone can't stop cheating on their partner and they want mm. to and they can't stop. Like as a therapist, how how what are some other ways you've seen this mm. kind of well, in people's lives? There's, yeah, there's an example in the book um, that is coming to mind. Um, there are about, I think I have five characters who are really just like composites of different um uh, clients I've had throughout the years. Um, but, uh, one of them, she would get so anxious about, um, whatever boyfriend she had, she would get so anxious, um, about the fear that he was abandoning her in some way, just because like, you know, he didn't get back for a couple hours or, or, you know, for normal reasons that just the rest of us would might even, maybe even if you're a person who, um, when I say the rest of us, I shouldn't say that because I'm totally, uh, on the sex and love addiction spectrum. I mean, I'm not like that anymore, but I mean, I was for sure in my twenties, but, um, anyway, but she wound up, um, losing her job because she was taking so many days off because she was like driving around trying to find her boyfriend. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, just cause she was in such a state of insane anxiety. So she was just like in full, like, like PTSD mode, you know? Um, so things like that are certainly a sign of, you know, needing help, but even this word addiction. And even like I said, there is a neurobiological process that absolutely is, like an addiction. I don't even like love the word. I just, I just, I use it in the book because that's what people know it as. It's what mm. we call it. And also there are previous, you know, like experts and people who've established what it is that I wouldn't want to take the credit away from, you know, I mean, mm. there is like a foundation here, but, um, but, but they all think of it as an actual real addiction. And they're all, um, all of the treatment out there that you can find in both books um, and just like in general, and you'll hear from therapists is um, SLAA or SAA, which is, you know, sex, sex and love addicts anonymous or, or sex addict anom addicts anonymous. And, you know, I don't have beef with them, with the AA groups. I think they provide a good service mm -hmm. um, in various ways, but I don't think that's how you, how you work with people who are on the sex and love addiction spectrum. Hmm. I think they so, need more, you know, they can yeah. have that, but they need a lot more. What is it? So what is it that they need more of and compared to like approaching or healing this kind of uh, repetitive habitual behavior that's different from addiction to substances? Is it more important to understand where it came from or like, what need it's suiting or how, how if, if SAA is not necessarily the best way, most effective way to, to help a person with this, what, what is? Well, I mean, those two examples that you listed of like ways to help a person, SAA deals with those actually. Um, so it's, um, all so all of those things, yes, the things that are around, yes, where did it come from? 
what what is the real need. Always though, you know, sex sex is never about sex. And that's one of the problems with again with labeling it an addiction. You know, sex is always about um, self-actualization and connection mm. and like all the various things that we all have related to those two issues um, in our lives, which is like a huge parts of, of what it means to be alive and what makes life worth living, you know? Mm. So, um, and one could say the same about love again, as a, as a sort of large umbrella word for the relationships, the, the romantic relationships we have. Um, it's all about those things. So I guess that's where the, that's where I go more so with it. I also, there's um, a big piece of it for me is about the culture we live inside because um, I'm not saying that addiction isn't obviously uh, very relevant to the culture we live inside in general, like with substances and so forth. But with sex and love, obviously, those are like heavily, heavily um, uh, controlled and manipulated. And, you know, there's, there's so much, there's misogyny and, and racism and you know what I mean? Like, it's just so, and socioeconomic, you know, and homophobia. And there's so many ways that we cannot talk about sex and love only as an addiction. Cause I don't want to, this is the other thing, I guess, this is the main thing. I don't, I am as a therapist, I, I'm not, um, I'm always kind of sharing the pathology with the culture. Mm. You know, the real problem in many ways is our culture mm. <laughs> and particularly, you know, particularly around sex and love. So. so I, I'm, I'm really, so I, I know that in uh, 2008 uh, you, you released a book called loose girl and uh, what would you, is this like a memoir? Would you call it a memoir? Is, yeah. So it, a memoir of your own um, experience and history with um, struggling with your own like promiscuity in your, in your younger years. Um, can you, can we kind of dive into your own personal story and a a little bit to get some context as to how that experience sort of, uh, um, shaped you uh, into the human that you are now? And like, what are some of the things that you learned from those, those past experiences? And, you know, what were the highlights? What were the lowlights? Like what, what was that experience like? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sure. No, absolutely. I mean, as a memoirist, you know, I always feel like, like when I meet people, um, you know, and we're talking and after a while I'm like, you know what, like we could just, you could just go read, like, I've got four books that cover all of this and like, yeah. I'll just like see you afterwards. Cause I don't feel like talking anymore, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So I'm, I am obviously, yes, very, very fine with talking about my memoir. And by the way, the memoir is, um, is re being reissued with a new introduction and new cover and copy with crazy for you oh, because wonderful. Yeah, they're so connected, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad it's getting reissued because, um, it's, well, it's my favorite of my books and also my truest core story. Mm. Um, and also because it got the most, it kind of helped the most people. Um, uh, a lot, a lot of people connected to it and felt I, like it was their story. 
I have not read it, but I was listening earlier today uh, to a conversation you had on another podcast. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And it, I felt like there's a, some of my story is in there too. And so I'm really excited for Jeremy to hear you talk Mm. about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, you know, that's why I'm very, I'm very proud at that. I in kind of, I intended it that way. And the first line of the book is um, something like, um, I was 11 when I learned what it was to be a girl. Because I'm really talking about growing up with a, with a girl body and, and being a, a girl and then woman in, you know, again, inside of the larger society. Um, and, uh, and so it's just, and this is also why I call it a spectrum and crazy for you is because there's so many like blurred lines around this about what's just normal for like living in this society, um, where we are given no actually terribly useful guidelines around any of this stuff. Um, in fact, we're given a lot of, um, well, are, do you do you guys curse on your? Oh yes. Oh. Fuck no, absolutely not. Do not fucking say a fucking. <laughs> not fucking word. curse. <laughs> okay, yeah. So there's a lot of bullshit, um, mostly, and um, that is uh, harmful, even. Mm. And so, um, so that so loose girl is really my story. I mean, I see it as sort of like the origin story of someone who ultimately was a sex and love addict. And you really see it develop in, in the book as I got older. Um, but, um, but it was also really, a you know, it started in that blurred area of having a girl body girls learn right away that this is their access to everything to power in all ways, you know, like we don't, that's our main access to power. And so, um, so that's what happened. So, you know, and that, that opening scene, which was when I was 11 was when some like adult man in a semi truck, I was walking and he like, you know, made some lewd comments at me. And I, you know, as much as it was scary, I kind of liked it. And that is so much what the book is about Mm -hmm. is that it felt, I was finally getting attention because I got like, I was um, bereft at home of attention to my, my own needs and and what I actually needed, you know, from my parents, like many people. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, you look like you have a question, Jeremy. No, no, I don't. I, no, I'm, I'm, I don't, but, but, uh, but go on. <laughs> okay. Well, you have a question. Well, I know. And, and that was the point that, that, that just felt so validating to hear you say, because there is not only the fact that like you're a kid and all of a sudden you're realizing you have some kind of power in the world, but, but that attention also is like, Hmm, how do I create more of this in my life? Hmm. Exactly, and then the ways that you're in you're shown how to wield that power are just in this context of Mm. of messages and you know one of the like things i'll often say is like we we kind of got the benefit 
my generation of someone being like, you know what, Disney movies aren't real and happily ever after doesn't exist. But then, but that's just scratching. That's the tip of the iceberg in terms. It really is just scratching it. Yeah. Mm. Of, of all of the myths of sex and love. Yeah. Because also what that's, what this thing we're talking about is talking about is, is, is kind of accessing as, as the deeper problem is that that's then how any connection for women, um, girls, more so, girls, because women maybe, you know, maybe have more of a chance at it, but this is why there's girls have no connection to their own, like, organic sexual agency. There's no such thing. I mean, there is no such thing for teenage girls. It is Mm. not allowed. It's not afforded. And it's all about what, what men want from us, um, want from our bodies rather. It's all, you know, just the ways that were, were immediately very easily put into that space. Um, so that when, so that then when we're set out into the world, hopefully, you know, wanting to have a healthy sex life that everybody deserves. Um, it's all, you know, fucked up. It's not, there's no such thing as desire for, um, many women. And certainly that was true for me in loose girl that isn't all tied up with it's like sexual desire, sexual arousal was like just a little time, just a small part of it. Mm. And then there's so many other things I was after. And, um, that I, and uh, that I felt, you know, like desperate for even. Mm. So, yeah. So that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. This, this notion of like sex addiction or love addiction being, being a spectrum, um, makes me, makes me think about like, um, it makes me sit here and, and, and just think about the things in my life that I could like maybe, uh, look at and say like, Oh, like maybe that, maybe this, this thing that I'm struggling with kind of falls within that spectrum. And is, is that, is that sort of what you mean by, by sex addiction being a a spectrum of like, it's one of these things where, all right, say, say there's someone listening right now. Right. And they're like, well, I'm not, I don't have sex addiction problems. Like I've never been addicted to sex. The idea of like just needing sex so badly that it's like fucking up my life. But Perhaps this person listening uh, doesn't realize that they have, um, I don't know, like they they have uh, issues with their own self-worth when it comes to dating, right? So they go on a date, they don't get asked out on a second date, and all of a sudden that experience spirals into this like self-deprecating, self-loathing that kind of fucks them up for a couple of weeks. Like would that would would you is is that basically what you're saying like that like that would fall into this spectrum of like that's an issue that perhaps you want to look at and try to reframe and try to work on so that if this isn't such a debilitating gut wrenching experience every time you have that experience because we're all gonna we're all gonna uh, most of us are going to have those experiences in life and some of us handled it really well some of some of us don't. Um, is that sort of what you mean by by sex addiction existing on this spectrum? Yeah, yeah, that's totally mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think uh, it's kind of like the way that there are many, many issues that are 
for instance, even in the DSM, and plenty of us have like features of them, you right, know, yeah, but right, they're not like diagnosable. And I would say that's the same thing. So yes, I mean, I I feel like this that the things I talk about in the book um, would be helpful, kind of for anyone. Because I mean, do you know anyone who like does this, that this well? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, perfect, right. You know what yeah. I mean? And has a great time. Has had a great time their whole life with, with mm. all of it. You know. Um, Turn me on podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
like therapists or psychologists listening to this, it might make them mad because I hear so many, you know, so, but this is how I define it. Um, Codependency is when you are trying, doing things to try to control uh, the other person's feelings or behaviors so that you don't get hurt. Mm. Hurt, you know, when I say hurt, that's a large, like, be made super uncomfortable around something, you know? Okay. And is codependency, is codependency oftentimes, um, like, uh, how do I word this? Is codependent, when you, when you, when you, when you find codependency happening in your life, if that's the way to word it, um, is it oftentimes happening with both people in the relationship? Sure. Like, like are both people, it, when codependency is rearing its head, is it oftentimes happening between both people? Or is there more often than not one person who is codependent and the other who is not? And that's where the, that's where like the, the, the problem is, is coming into play. Um, no, I think it's true that most that, I mean, I think pretty much everybody is a little bit codependent. Um, but the, yeah, the problem I see more way more often is that both have um, joined in this codependency in various ways. Um, certainly one of them doesn't have to be for the other one to be, you know, the idea of codependency of course started with the notion of, of, of addiction, of an addict and that the other person sort of, you know, enables the behaviors and um, the ongoing addiction in various ways. Mm. But I, you know, at this point, I think we can take it out of that context. It doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be an addict involved. Um, but uh, there, but there, it's just like ways that we try to control, you know, so that we, so that we don't have to feel bad mm. or, or be left or, you know, um, have to deal with your hurt feelings because then I feel like I have to take care of them or whatever. Mm. Go ahead, I've, you were I've, yeah, I've sometimes, I don't know if I just remember this from the pages of your book or just something else that I read recently about the the uh, personalities that show up in relationships of of someone being avoidant and someone being the sort of pursuer. And I feel like I've that dynamic has been in every one mm. of my relationships. And um, I never would have considered that a codependent type of exchange. But when you put it like that, it's like an attempt to control. I think part of my sort of avoidant take and, you know, wherever that came from in my history is like, if I don't care, then you can't hurt me. Mm. Yeah. I love hearing, I would love to hear more from, um, to me, avoidant, the avoidant people, the love avoidance are like these like fascinating animals that I can't (laughs) even remotely relate to, but I have studied like crazy because I also am endlessly in relationships where, the other person is avoided. But I know, like, I mean, I know so much, but I just, you know, in that I've studied them um, because of my desperation to try to 
control them. Um, and, you know, and so, but I, so I, I would love to uh, hear more of, of that experience, especially women. There are way fewer um, women love avoidance that I've come across anyway. I know there are plenty. Maybe they just don't come to me or don't like enter my life, but, um, but yeah. That's interesting that I would be curious to hear. And I know these things are never as linear or or easy to, to sort out as we could hope them to be. But, um, you know, if I was going to trace the lineage back of like where I, I picked up on this, this way of living, um, I would assume it came from the models of love in my childhood. Um, you know, I, and my dad, my dad was, I would say like, um, my, my primary, um, a birth parent that was around for the extended period. And he was very, uh, he, you know, he had 10 kids with five different women. I he think he had this, like, you know, my spiritual path is the most important thing in my life above all else. And so, you know, oh, even one of those men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And narcissist. he's like, he's got children from five different women. Exactly. All over he's the place. A cult leader. Just say it. Your dad was a cult leader. I, I mean, really? <laughs> The cult of Bill the does exist. Bill, yeah, yeah no, it totally. does exist out there. Um, but 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 so and I just have a feeling like a lot of the behavior, especially so he died last year, and I was present with him for the last couple of months of his life, and really like just so present to his behaviors and like recognizing them so clearly in me and. Uh, and, and yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I haven't had any sort of psychotherapy done on this part of my life, but I have always identified as somebody who felt, feels completely smothered by affection, whether it verbally, physically, like my skin crawls, I don't, and it just, I, I don't know how to turn, I want to turn it around. I mm. want to be able to like offer my heart and love and affection to my partner or partners when they clearly want it from me, but the the closer they are and the more need I can feel. And it's not even just with my partners. It's like, I have a very affectionate sister. I have like these people, even it's fucked with my friendships. Like, I don't know how to have those loving relationships with my friends where I can just like tell them I love them and not feel like, like, like it, it's choking me to like get those words out, even though I can feel it, you know, it's a know. commitment. Now you're committing to something and now they're going to, that thing of being engulfed. And that's like, I mean, I could have, I could have said, okay, uh, tell me how you were in some way engulfed as a kid. Cause mm-hmm. that's how you become a love avoidant, okay. you know? Yeah. yeah. The smothered feeling you're talking about and the feeling like, you know, like suffocated or can't breathe because, and it's, it's often, too, because um, you feel like you are responsible or have to take care of some adults. I um, think that's for me, the nail on the head, because when I just like some context, my dad married my stepmother when I was three and she was much younger than him. She was only 26 and mm-hmm. I was three and he was 40. And she and I got, we had this relationship where she was kind of my mom, but but also my friend. And then when shit would go down between them, which it did all the time, I often felt like it was my fault or my, and I, that was reinforced to me by my stepmother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think 
I did play a role in like, no matter what the parents were doing or going through, if I was just okay, then, um, yeah, I just had to be okay so that I didn't rock the boat for them, Mm. you know, or make anything worse on me. And I had four younger sisters in that household as well, like four little sisters that I felt very responsible for protecting them for. So anytime I hear someone, it's like, well, maybe you had too much responsibility as a kid. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I think, I think I did. (laughs) I think I did. And so any sense of like responsibility will drive me even like to other behaviors. Like I'll, I'll smoke too much weed because then I can't take care of the things that I'm, that are on my plate. Then I'm just like Mm -hmm. peacing out and taking a little mini vacation for the day. This whole, um, this whole conversation is, is, you know, that, that like that saying, how does that saying go? Where it's like, you're, you're incapable of loving anybody until you can truly love yourself or whatever the fuck. Whatever, whatever fucking people say. I hate that one because yeah. it's like, oh my God, when is, what, how am I ever going to get love then? Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So, so the <laughs> reason, the reason that, that saying popped up in my head is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this notion of sex addiction or love addiction and like the, the, the ways and how that can manifest in people's lives and people's relationships. And it does seem like a lot of this stems from someone who has to do their own version of like self growth. Like there, there, there must be self growth involved in in being able to find yourself in a place where you are actually capable of having like a really cohesive, loving relationship with somebody else. And so, you know, I, I can, I can almost guarantee there's somebody listening right now who feels like, okay, yeah, this, all of this is resonating with me. Um, Maybe there are some things in my relationship that I've been struggling with. And I'm now starting to notice that this is, in order for me to work through this, I need to do some like self care, self work. Um, so my question here is that say that person finds themselves in that scenario. Do you think it's possible to work? And this might be a stupid question, but do you think it's possible to work on yourself to like find self growth while existing in a relationship that seems like you're struggling through it? Or do you think that, those people actually need to get away from that relationship in order to do the work that is needed on themselves to be able to eventually find a relationship that works for them. I love this question because it's one that I very much um, have addressed in my own life and, and with lots of my clients and for any of your listeners who, who feel that way. um, I want to do the thing that almost no one else will do for them, which is give them permission to not have to be in what every, the world seems to consider a healthy, intimate relationship that you don't have to, because people like me, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm ever, I don't think I'm ever going to have that. However, I, um, what I can have um, really works for me. (laughs) Like someone else might be looking at it and be like, and be like, wow, you know, girl, you need, you know, to, you should do something, you know, take care of yourself more or, and I'm like, I'm fully taking care of myself. I, so, so I'll start there in 
absolutely, yes, you can do self-growth inside of a relationship and reach a point where maybe it's your relationship is going is going to work. Because mm. a lot of times, a lot of times about uh, 90 to 100 percent of the problems you're having are actually really about your own projections onto yeah. the other yeah, and that they sh- that they're making you feel something that is actually an old wounded feeling from you know having a cult leader dad or whatever, and um you know that then you it's like those are the feel those are your wounds, and even though the other person might be triggering them, it's like they're not responsible to take care of them for you, mm. you know. Yeah, because I I feel like if you're in that scenario, you know it it seems like it would be a lot harder to do that self-growth when it, when you feel like you are literally inundated with the, the bullshit that is continuously coming up in your relationship. So it's like, you can't, you, you're, it's, it's, it's fog that is covering the, you know, the, the, the foreground, you can't see anything but that thing in front of you. And so it would make sense to me that someone would feel as though, well, fuck, I, I have to get out of this relationship to work yeah. on myself before I can really start to do this. But yeah, uh, no, I, I would I would definitely put a hard no on that because what mm. they're what's going to happen to that person is they'll wind up in another version of the same relationship. Right. That's why even if it turns out that this relationship is not going to work out or through doing yourself more of your self-work and coming to understand how much is actually you and what you've been choosing and creating for yourself, then, then you may more clearly see mm. whether you want to stay in the relationship or not anyway. Right. Um, but if you don't do that work in the relationship, this whole idea, I just told, you know, I'm not saying there's not stuff you can do to help yourself around, um, around those, those sorts of things as a single person, but you know, you got to, you learn about your intimacy issues and can work on them inside of intimacy. Right. Right. Otherwise you're, you're, you're potentially setting yourself up for just the continuous cycle Yeah, and you're just going to go through it again and again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you finish. Cause I was going to change us up. Oh, okay. Um, I also want to say that, um, regardless you will, um, no matter what though, go through the same cycle over and over and over again, and then you die. Yeah. But it just gets, <laughs> it gets more tolerable <laughs> and, and you like, can make better choices inside of it. Right. More and but more. You're it's not like- going to be attracted to people you're not attracted to. You know, it's like, my joke is always like, yeah, like unavailable with a weed problem probably. And like <laughs> lots of narcissistic features. I'm like, I'm here for it, you know? <laughs> right, right. And I, and I admit it. And I think it's important because by doing so, I am like giving myself permission to like be in a relationship that ultimately I can work on myself enough for it to work. Whereas mm. if I try to be, which of course every everybody, every woman does at least, try to be with somebody who I'm not really that attracted to, it's just not, the glue isn't there. Mm. You know, sexual chemistry is the attraction and that's the glue and you need it for your relationship to, to, cause you know, if you're going to go through life is hard and you're going to go through hard times and when things are bad, you know, and you hate, you hate them, but you still want to fuck them. You'll get through it, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. 
Uh, yeah, I, I was loving what, what you said. You just kind of brushed over it, but the idea that this like ideal, romantic, intimate, perfect relationship, um, that we're like told, like, don't settle, you know, Mm. is like such a direct conflict to being like, yeah, but you're like, (laughs) right. Right. And like the importance of recognizing that I think, what is it in, is it, Oh, fuck. Frank's going to listen to this. Our, our mindfulness teacher is going to listen to this and, and <laughs> wag his finger at me, but isn't it called like your, is it your, is it your dukkha? What is that cyclical suffering? Dukkha's pain. Dukkha's pain, but is it samskara that is then the circle, circular part of it? It's like, you're just, this mm. is your life's mm. lesson and you'll go hopefully deeper and deeper and learn more and more, but it's kind of like, yeah, I'm a journaler and I've been journaling since I was like 11 years old. So um, I can see if I go back and I read that I've actually just been complaining about the same right, shit for right. the last, you know, 25 years or. You know, I mean, juice, right. Since you were like, <laughs> yeah, since you were 12, wait till you're my age, which, you know, we don't need to, it's not that much older, but it's older, another generation. And you look back at when you were like 13 and you're, and it's, it's just horrifying and embarrassing, but mm-hmm. yes, always yeah. concerned with the same things. Just smarter same. about them now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Carrie, uh, I got to say, this has been a really, really lovely conversation. Um, again, folks, the book is called Crazy for You, Breaking the Spell of Sex and Love Addiction. Um, it is available now. Can you can you let the folks know how they can keep up with your work, where they can find the book, where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, you, you can find the book anywhere you find books. Um, and you can pre-order it everywhere. I, you know, I don't like to say like, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I mean, you know, support your local independent bookstore (laughs) is I guess what I want to say. Um, but you, because you can order it through there. Um, and, um, but if you want to get it, you know, in tomorrow, order it from Amazon. Via drone. Uh, Yes, of course, of course. (laughs) Um, so, um, uh, so, okay, that's where you can get the book. And yes, um, right now you could still pre-order and it will arrive on the 21st, possibly a few days before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for me, my website is carrie-cohen.com. Um, and it's not a great website right now. I really need to be, I mean, I tried to update it and then I got, so it needs, but you can join a new, there's a newsletter thing on there that someday I'll do. Plus I'm going to have on their um, courses, actually like courses for sex and love addiction issues, um, including the love addict, love avoidant relationship and how to, how to work on it inside when you're inside of it. Um, mainly from, for the love addict though. Mm. Um, and because, because this is another thing, just quickly, Bridie, you should know. Um, it's always the love addicts who are the ones who do wind up doing, if they're going to do the work, they wind up doing, it's easier for them to do the work. I think what, what you have, what you're struggling to do is harder. It's harder mm. to, because we have to contain ourselves. You have to figure out how to like, like melt and soften. And that's, mm. that's way harder. Um, just as a side note. Um, so yeah, but you can go there and find me also, you know, I don't know. I'm on the social medias, even though I hate them. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly on um, Facebook because you know I'm Gen Xer, <laughs> um, and um, and no TikTok. 
No TikTok. I do not have TikTok. No, no, me neither. Well, Carrie, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule all the way from Mexico to sit down and chat with us. This has been really, really a delight. Yeah, absolutely. Same for me. Thanks so much for having me and for inviting me. You know you're gonna have to face it, you're addicted to love. Bang, bang, might as well face it, you're addicted to love. You might as well face it, you're addicted to love. Might as well face it, you're addicted. They say that five times in the course. Oh, really? Did you just look that up? Yeah, I'm reading the lyrics right now. Um, who sang that? Who sings that? Robert Palmer. Oh, really? I thought yeah. that was a, a woman. Your lights are on, but you're not home. So. Your will is not your own. Today in attendance at massage school, yep. we had to, the teachers are still, some of them are still getting to know our names because some of them we only have once a week. And the TA was like, this day, today, we're going to, I'm going to call your name and you're going to tell me what animal you would be if you could be an animal. And um, I can't remember what this one woman behind me said, but she said such and such an animal because they mate for life and I don't like to be alone. I know. I know. I know. Maybe a goose. I think gooses mate for life. Geese. Geeses. (laughs) Goose eye. I Uh, said... Geesen. I found it really stressful. I find those kinds of questions really stressful. What animal did you choose? I chose a finger monkey. The fuck is a finger monkey? Oh, what? oh yeah, one of those little tiny things. Yeah, they just they hold they look like. Is that what they're actually called? Though? Yeah, they're well, no, they have a different name, but finger monkeys is the, um, I you know I pygmy marmoset. Pygmy marmoset. Oh I didn't want to say anything that somebody else said, and they had already like the first person was like, "I'll be a golden retriever." Like yeah, I'm right. obviously going to be a dog, and totally. you know whatever. And then I was like, "Well, maybe I'll be some kind of." bird or maybe someone said unicorn i was like maybe i'll be a pegasus mm. but then it came around i was like no one's gonna say finger monkey except for me i almost said bonobo yeah because right. it starts with a b and i was like this is i think also kind of fits with the podcast exactly yeah yeah um cool well uh that was a really fun conversation that we just <laughs> had uh and we're so glad that you were along with us and uh the more i think about it the more i really do think that i am a bit of a love addict. Really? Yeah, I do. In terms of like it gets in your way of life? I think it does sometimes. Yeah. Because of a need for reciprocated love? Yeah. Or? Yeah. I think I'm, I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm too needy. Interesting. Or I don't know. I found I it really. I talk to a therapist about it, I think. Really? I, I do actually. Yeah. I feel like I should talk to a therapist about do it. Do you think that, that it's kind of like, because it. To me, I could understand that um, in terms of like seeking approval or seeking like I know I'm a pleaser. So mm-hmm. I need I'd like to get that kind of reinforcement. Does it feel like that or when we talked about codependence, I was like, man, this sounds like me. Mm. I feel like I slide into codependency pretty easily. Interesting. I think. That resonated with me as well, but I think from the perspective of. I definitely learned how to modify my behavior or tiptoe around in such a way that (coughs) I could manipulate the way a parent 
would respond to some, like I would mm-hmm. suss out a situation. I'd be like, is this a good time to ask for this thing that I really want? Mm-hmm. And if I, if I pitch it this way, like it's not really a big deal. Maybe they're more likely to say yes, you know? So I don't know if that fits into codependent behavior, but that's definitely a type of manipulation to get what you're hoping to get. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I, uh, I think, I think that's me sometimes. Is that not what you expected codependency definition to be? Because I kind of was surprised by it. So was I, yeah. Um, She wrote here in her book, codependence can be a subtle, uh, can be so subtle in its presentation that it's easy to miss. But for SLAs, sex, love, addicted, I guess is what SLAs Mm -hmm. are. Codependence is practically guaranteed because all SLAs are codependent. Some signs that you are codependent in a relationship are your self-worth is largely dependent on on how your partner feels about you. That is huge with me. I have okay. a huge problem with that. Okay. Your partner spends a lot of, uh, lots of time trying to manage or control your partner. Sorry, you spend lots of time trying to manage or control your partner's feelings so you won't get hurt. I mean, I don't know. Like, again, she said everything is a spectrum, right? So like, I'm somewhere mm. on the spectrum there, but that doesn't like super duper resonate with uh, me. Yeah, I think so too. Although I have trouble with the so you don't get hurt part because yeah. I think that can be really convoluted. Yeah. Like avoidant personalities are also trying to not get hurt, yes. but it comes it's yeah. a, through a totally different thing. Uh, you give way more in the relationship than you get in return. Um, she goes on to say, we almost always contribute emotionally or physically or both much, much more than the other person. I mean, I definitely have had that in my life, especially early in relationships. Mm. Like when I start to fall in love with someone, I'm like... It's like a, it's like a fucking, it's like an out of control train that's just barreling through town and no one can stop it. How did that present with us? It's hard to say because I don't know. I don't know if I was like that when I was so young. Mm. I feel like I, I, I got, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Like, I feel like you, there were moments when you were like, Jesus Christ, man. Like you, I'm avoidant. Cool it with the fucking love, (laughs) dude. You know? Yeah, right. I don't really remember. God, that was a long time ago. Your sexual chemistry has taken a nosedive. That doesn't really that doesn't really that doesn't uh, resonate with me. Anyway, those are the those are some of the things that that she uh, listed there, and um, yeah, and then you know she goes on to uh, talk about breaking the spell of codependence by establishing boundaries. I mean, these, like these are things that I'm reading, and I'm going, oh yeah, resist the to fix and control. Like these are. Focus on self-growth, which, you know, I, I also too think, I think maybe perhaps slightly that since COVID started, it's, it's really like the last two years have been the first time in my life where I've, where I've really actually for real have struggled with my mental health. I had a, a very small stint a number of years ago, but it only lasted like two or three months where I was pretty down. Yeah. And like depressed. Um, but that that went away pretty quickly. But this is like it, it's been a real like up and down over the last, I would say, you know, 20 months where it's like some some months I'm really bad. And I find that when when my mental health is like l- lower than usual, that I I get like mm-hmm. you glom like, on. Yeah, I get like needy or something. I don't fucking know. Like I get I get weird. And then I look at myself and I go, "Ugh, what do you like? I don't like that. I don't like you. 
I don't like that version of you. Interesting. You know? Which kind of comes back to that thing we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where you're like, would I enjoy my own company if it yeah. was just... Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, would I want to be in a long-term relationship yeah. with me? Did did that... <laughs> was that this episode? Did that come out? That episode come out? Um, I don't remember I, who we were talking to when I said that, but... I think we talked about that with Kendra. Yes, right. Which did come out. It could be, yeah. It yeah. could... I could be wrong, but yeah. that that's definitely come up. And and, yeah. and I don't know if I said it at the time, but that was a technique that I used when I was recovering from eating disorder oh yeah, was like, what would I say to myself if I was like walking down the street with myself as my best friend, you know? Yeah. I was listening to Duncan Trussell's podcast the other day and he was talking to this guy, Aubrey Marcus, and they were talking about ayahuasca specifically. And Aubrey Marcus was talking about talking to himself. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way that he talks to himself oftentimes is with this kind of like, like he's talking to himself as a five-year-old who's like not getting his way. So it's okay. like when things are hard, he's like, hey, buddy, it's okay, bud. You know, it's okay. Come on. You got to go. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging, but come on, buddy. You got this. You got to keep going. And then every time it comes up, he's like, hey, buddy, I know. I know, buddy. I know mm-hmm. this is really challenging, but you can do it. I believe in you. Come on, buddy. You got to get up off on your feet. You got to go. And I was like, man, I really fucking need to start talking to myself. Like, I'm yeah, you kid. do. You're the worst. Oh, you because you don't even hide it internally. No, no. It's out loud. No, yeah, I t- yeah, I talk to myself like a, like the, <laughs> like like the friend you've had for like twenty years, who you're really kind of like. I don't know if I want to fuck. Like, I I, hey. I feel like I need to fucking get you out of my life because mm. you're bringing me down. You're toxic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The toxic friend, where you're mm. just like, dude, are you fucking for real? Like again? Mm-hmm. Come on. Well, so many layers to that, right? Because there's like, first you fuck up in the way you talk to yourself about the, the way you yeah. fuck up. And then there's the way you talk to yourself about the way you talk. To yeah. You. yeah. But I, I really circle. resonate. I call myself, I talk to myself out loud a lot when I'm alone. And so I'll be like, okay, Bridie, I think it's time to just like sit start down and like, it's really comforting yeah. actually. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I should start doing that. I watched a I went to a short film gala the other the other day with my ex girlfriend, Caitlin McCullough. Wow! I don't call her Caitlin; I call her Katie, but her name is Caitlin. Um, me and Katie sat together. We watched a bunch of movies. Her movie was one of the movies that were a part of this gala, and there was one of the shorts, and it was like this character that was t- talking to themselves in that way. Mm-hmm. And I was going, "No one fucking does that." <laughs> and now, now I now I think about that movie, and I go, "I should start doing that." You know, what's really cute and sweet is my dad started calling, started talking to himself that way, like in his last days. I thought you were going to say your dad started calling himself. Yeah. Like like calling <laughs> himself on FaceTime and just... <laughs> Listen, Bill. Just talking to the camera, to you. Hey, buddy. Hey. How you doing today? He started referring to himself as Billy, which yeah. was like his name when he was a little kid. Yeah. And talking to him. And that, that's like a really, I thought that was a really sweet thing. Yeah, I should just start calling be myself Jer Bear and be Jer Bear. Come on, Jer Bear. Oh, I think you're gonna have a nice experience with that. Just try See, to remember that. You know what's so funny is I I come up with this shit all the time when we're in podcast mode, mm-hmm. and then when uh, when we hit stop recording, yeah. it just goes <laughs> falls out of my head. <laughs> I, I can't follow. That was through useful shit. for five but, minutes. Yeah, that was useful for the show. Um. Yeah. So anyway, really glad that we uh, had that conversation. Um. And again, one last time, crazy for you is the book. And Carrie, we were so glad that we had a chance to chat. Yeah. Um. 
Well, well. Um, also in the news, the Emmys were last night. How about that? Um, I'm really disappointed to hear that you haven't watched. Um, uh, um, what did I? This may I may destroy you. This may destroy you. Uh, by Michaela Cohen, and it was recommended by a couple of listeners. And I've watched. I haven't watched all of them, but I've watched oh, some yeah. of them. It's pretty amazing, and it's it's very intense. So you know, it's Apple TV, right? Uh, or is it HBO? I'm not sure. I think it is HBO. Yeah, I've seen it on Crave. Yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Okay. It's it's got some like fantastic are there visuals. A- are there aliens in it? No. Is there a I mean, spooky maybe, element? Um, no. Any weirdness? Weird science? No weird I, science. I don't think I'm gonna watch it. No. Okay, that's fine. But um, so yeah, that happened, and it actually it brought up. Uh, you know who else? Um won an Emmy was uh what's his name Evan Peters yeah remember that guy from, from American, American Horror, Horror Story? Story what what did he win for? so he was in Mayor of Easttown oh yeah oh my god he was so good wasn't he incredible oh god well I don't I, I'm not gonna say anything because I was about to drop a massive spoiler yeah uh <laughs> which if anybody has read about anything about the Emmys you've probably read about that spoiler because I think it, it's they talk about it a lot did he win for that to, I don't know what he won for but I realized something when I was I was reading about him today, which is that I'm very attracted to him. He's very attractive. Why though? Because he's not. He is conventionally you know attractive. Why? You know why? Because he's he's such a great actor. He's a great actor. I loved him That's in American why. Horror Story. Yeah. And that that show alone is a dream as an actor because you yeah, get to he play did. so many different characters. He, he won. won for uh, playing Detective Colin Zabel. So is that like Mary a supporting? He, uh, outstanding supporting actor in a yeah. limited or anthology series or movie. And in his acceptance speech, he shouted he wanted to thank um, Kate Winslet for being Kate Winslet. She's also amazing. She's amazing. And she had that yeah. whole thing with uh, this particular show, which was like, I'm done with unrealistic beauty standards for women. So mm. I'm not putting on any fucking makeup in this show. I'm not she, brushing and, my hair. And she won for Outstanding Lead actri- Actress. Of course she did. What a hero. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you want to get really sad, watch Mare of Easttown. It's, it's a depressing show, but it's phenomenal. Yeah. So good. Um, but why are we talking about the Emmys? Why are we talking about celebrities? Well. Uh, well, because when I realized about Evan Peters being so attractive, I was like, would I have sex with him? This is the thing that I like to do is picture people having sex. Like I just picture what does Evan Peters look like when he's having sex and yeah. would I want to be on the receiving end of that? Would you? Or the giving end? I would. Yeah. yeah. I find him really attractive. Yeah. Um, but I'm not one to carry around a list of like freebies because we've already like right. negotiated the fact that we can have various, I wouldn't feel like it was, well, I would feel like it was cheating if it wasn't agreed on that I could have sex with this person. But it seems silly to have that list now that monogamy isn't like the hard, fast rule for me to yeah. have a list of exceptions. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, is, do, do people still do that? I wonder, uh, I, I listeners, if you're do. listening to this, if you've had a conversation with your partner about like your, your celebrity freebie list, mm-hmm. do you do that? And if you do, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Tell us about it. Tell us who's on your list. Tell us if you've ever come close. Oh, yeah. I want to hear those stories. Because the thing is, we had this conversation years ago. Yes. Before we were open. And I was like, no, no, we can't have these celebrity lists because it's too likely. You said that. And I remember going, I remember thinking, 
because so so for context, we had this conversation, and you were like, um, you were like, no, we can't have this because it's too likely. And you said it was too likely because we were going to theater school, and we had these like aspirations of becoming famous act- actors, famous actors, yeah. <laughs> and and I remember thinking to myself like, eh, it's not that likely. But now that I'm 33, all of the <laughs> life experience that I've had, mm-hmm. it really is not- much more likely than one might think at 22 yeah, or 21. Well, when you think about it in terms of degrees of separation. Yeah. Like I am only, well, like I don't even know how you'd calculate this now. Like I've met Ed Norton. Yeah. You know, like that's not. Wow, what a name drop, Bridie. I know. Well, I've just, I haven't You're nearly so cool. had sex with him, but <laughs> I know. But if I, if I am like one degree of separation yeah. from Ed Norton, then I am. Yep. Basically, one degree of separation from most celebrity yeah. actors. Yeah. I mean, I was inside Justin Baldoni's home. Right. And I, I, I had my arm around Justin Baldoni and felt his lats. Oh, I see. That's quite the drop. Not name dropping or anything. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have even known who Justin Baldoni is if, well, if it wasn't for you. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that do. Okay. And, and he's someone... No, that I, would be I, on no, your list. No, he wouldn't be on my list. <laughs> Actually, the the only male celebrity that would be on my freebie list is and and has always been for years is Jack White. Oh yeah, that's right. But what about um, Bronson? What about uh, what's his name? No, um, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. No, he's too. He's too <sighs> beautiful. I I need he. No, he's too rugged. What? I don't. I'm not into that. You're into clean. You're some- into the. Uh, Jack White looks like a porcelain doll. There's right. something very... He's very pale and ghostly. Very, yeah, he's, he's like a vampire. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm into that. Okay. And also just watching him watching him on a stage with a guitar is like... Whew, I know. There is something about those, those guitar players. It's how... It's where they hold the guitar, like yeah. right in front of their groin. Yeah. And their finger movement. But it's also the way they, they scream into a microphone. No, there's that too. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's he's on he's my male on the list, and then okay. and then for females, I don't know if I have any hetero or um, I don't know if I have any females on my list. I think I've grown less attracted to women in the last couple of years. I still like breasts a lot. But I don't think I like famous breasts. Jennifer Lawrence for me. Oh is... yeah, yeah. No, I I like her, but I'm not into that. And you know who else? Um, what's her name? Um, oh God, I always forget her name. Um, uh, fucking Dakota Johnson, specifically Dakota Johnson in Suspiria, the remake of Suspiria. Okay, that's a very specific reference. Susie Ban Banyan is the character. Okay. <sighs> I got to look that up because I don't know who Dakota... Uh, you will when you look at her. What's um, her name? Dakota Johnson, Johnston, or sorry, Johnson. She was in Fifty Shades of Grey. I didn't see that either. When I first started dating Leah, oh, I was yeah. like, holy, holy, you thought she holy looked- cannoli. You look just like Susie Banyan. Oh, interesting. Except I for could, blonde hair. Mm, I can't really see it. 
I can't really see it. I do. Um, you don't see it here? This is her in Suspiria. Yeah, I could kind, kind of, of see kind that, of, I suppose. She's got the she's got the pale vampire look as well. Yeah. She doesn't have oh here, here we go. This is this is that looks like Leah. I don't see it. I, I guess I don't look at Leah's face for long prolonged periods of time. Right. You know what I love about Leah though, just while we're on the subject, is her laugh. She's got the best laugh. It's really deep. It's like a yeah. heart it's like a it shakes her yeah. whole rib cage. Yeah. I really appreciate a good laugh in you a human being. You should see it when she can't breathe. <laughs> she laughs so hard. And you know what's funny is like what I've noticed is that I don't make her laugh that hard ever, but she makes herself laugh. Yeah, that that's the best. That's what that's the other no, thing. No, it's the worst. No, it's great. I fucking hate that. I'm like, why can't I make you laugh? Like, why are you laughing at your your shit? I'm funny. You're really funny. So I should be making her laugh that hard. But yeah. she laughs at her own jokes that hard. Yeah. I, I admire that in a human. Oh, come on. You hate it. I also make myself laugh more than anybody else makes me laugh. You do. I'm, I'm trying to think. You really do. Uh, I'm also really attracted to Bo Burnham. Also yeah. very talented. Yeah. After Inside. Yeah. It, there was, I mean, there, when he was looking really disheveled in moments in, I that, like that. in that doc, he, he was really... I like disheveled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, folks, let us know who's on your um, freebie list if you have one. Let me just quickly read you um, this this little article that I've stumbled upon. Sometimes when we're getting ready to record these things, I'm like, what's in the news? Right. And um, this is actually from a year ago, so it's not really new news. But I loved this. Uh, I love Jane Fonda. She's pretty great. I don't know if anybody else was like me and spent a lot of their um, elementary slash junior high school years working out to Jane Fonda's workouts. Not for any particular reason, except I was just like, I think you're supposed to do exercise. It looks and it looks a lot like my ballet class. Um, But uh, this this headline grabbed me. Jane Fonda says not sleeping with Marvin Gaye is a great regret. Yeah, let me read this. Um, Jane Fonda has revealed she once turned down the opportunity to sleep with sexual healing singer and R&B icon Marvin Gaye. During a Q&A with the New York Times, the actor and activist shared insight into her past relationships, revealing that she regrets not taking up the soul legend's offer. In a confirm or deny part of the interview, Fonda was asked whether her greatest regret was that she had never had sex with Che Guevara. Che Guevara. Is that how you pronounce that? Che Guevara. Che Guevara. To which she responded, no, I don't think about him. Who I do think about and what is a great regret is Marvin Gaye. He wanted to and I didn't. The actor went on to share. I was married to Tom Hayden. I was meeting a lot of performers to try to do concerts for Tom. And the woman who was helping me do that introduced me to Marvin Gaye. When asked if Gaye's pickup line included the words sexual healing, Fonda jokingly admitted, I needed some, but he didn't say that. No. The Oscar award-winning actor explained that after Gaye's passing in 1984 good year. Uh, not for him, but for me, I was born. She discovered that the uh, singer had a picture of her on his refrigerator. Whoa. The sole artist, for those of you who didn't know, died at the age of 44. You know how he died? Yes, he was shot twice by his father. Yeah. Um, really sad story. Yeah. Uh, she was also asked about her time spent with Marlon Brando. 
Um, to which she replied, disappointing, but a great actor. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's a little tidbit about uh, about Jane Fonda. Yeah. I love how many times celebrities get married and divorced. I think that's a really entertaining yeah. piece of consumption. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit here, okay. a little bit more serious note. Sure. Uh, that Marvin Gaye story, he, he got, he, it was an altercation between his mom and dad. They were having a fight and he got between it. And uh, his dad uh, gunned him down in their own home. Domestic. Domestic violence. Um, And speaking of domestic violence, um, if you haven't been following the story of Gabby Petito down in the U.S., very, very sad. Um, And, you know, it just goes to show that uh, domestic abuse is a serious and prevalent issue. And especially when it comes to taking women seriously when found in situations like that. And, uh, and you know, the lack of police work sometimes that, that, uh, is, is, or most of the time isn't involved in those scenarios. And so, um, if you aren't, if you aren't aware, you know, we won't go into detail about it, but you can look it up. Uh, it's, it's international news right now. It's, it's a super huge bummer. Um, but, uh, just a little, Heads up, if anyone out there is struggling in a, in a situation where they need help, the uh, Assaulted Women's Helpline here in Canada, uh, the toll-free number is one 866 So, um, you know, if you find yourself in a, in a hard situation, first of all, I mean, dial 911 if you're in crisis, mm. but also if, you're, if you need to talk to someone, um, the Assaulted Women's Helpline is there. It's good to understand, similar to like sex and love addiction, it's similar, it's it's important to understand signs and symptoms yeah. of things as they occur. Because these things tend to escalate slowly. Yeah. And the reason, so many reasons that they don't get reported or things don't get dealt with, like, you know, we can always say, well, if I was in that situation and this happened to me, but the way these things oh, work is like... Like buy in little by little by little, yeah. and it's like you've let things go this far, and then, then the next thing is a little bit further than that. But they they never end well. So, yeah, um, yeah. I I've been following that case. Um, I mean, she was a van lifer. They right. were they were traveling around the states in a van, and um, they were young. They're really young, like twenty two, yeah. twenty three, childhood sweethearts. So again, like things happen really. Really slow. Also, he hasn't been found. He hasn't been charged. He's like obviously the main person of interest because yeah. he showed up back home in Florida with the van and without with her, her and yeah. went into a long period of silence of not releasing any information and still hasn't been spoken to. And then disappeared. And then disappeared. And a yeah. body was recently found in a national park down in the States that they yeah. believe they believe will be confirmed as Gabby Petito, yeah. which is just horrifying. Um, but... Uh, Thanks for thanks for reading out that number, babe. It's, yeah. it's important that we all start um, acknowledging that that's a especially during COVID. I remember that being one of the biggest yeah. concerns. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and other kinds of domestic violence. Just not having a not having any sort of balance. Not 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 that there's balance to that, but not having any sort of escape mm-hmm. or safe place is a re- really big thing for for folks during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, and I can only imagine that this story being in the news right now um, can is also rather 
traumatic for a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it, there's, I know a few people that have been in abusive relationships and and they're having a hard time right now with the fact that this is just being blasted all over the news so yeah you know it yeah it came up it actually came up today in massage school not not specifically but we were doing some partner work and we were talking about i was talking with this woman in my class who um who was talking about how many other things are going on in her life and just like an inability to concentrate Mm. and it just occurred to me like that's especially going into a program where you're touching people all the time and, and people are touching you all the time. That's like how you learn that that's a real big barrier for a lot of people mm-hmm. to even being able to go into certain lines of work, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're thinking of you all. Yeah. And, uh, hoping you, you, uh, maybe you're more able to turn off the news for a bit and take a little reprieve yeah. from that. Um, there's a, just the tips for you. Yeah. Take a fucking break from the news. Turn Actually, the news. when we were talking about Michaela, um, um, Cohen, do mm-hmm. I have that right name? Um, she, she said something in her, me Carrie. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, this may destroy you. Woman. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, she said something in her speech that I, I read out of context and I was like, this is just really good advice for everybody. She was talking to writers about, I think the process of writing or whatever, but she said, uh, I saw it quoted on, on, um, one of the social media things. She said in a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others to help us better determine how we feel about ourselves. Mm. And so in turn, and to in turn feel the need to be constantly visible for visibility these days seems to somehow equate to success. Do not be afraid to disappear from it, from us for a while and see what comes to you in the silence. Mm. I think there's something to that for all of us to, um, to take to heart with regards to, you know, how much time are you scrolling through the news of the world and your Instagram feed and, you know, not not only is it making you maybe compare yourself to others, but like, what's it doing to your psyche? Yeah, we're we have so much access to information to all over the world, which is really really new. Yeah. like within the last thirty years, and, and in, in one hand, really great, but in another hand, really Dutch, really detrimental. Yeah, and I think it makes people feel like they're unable to affect any sort of change yeah. in their communities. Yeah because they can't affect change worldwide, you know? It's just like, hey, what if we remember that we can affect people's lives who are in our direct yeah. path yeah. every day? It's a good point. A bit of a ramble, but... A good ramble, I think. A worthy ramble. A great way to wrap this up. Uh, folks, thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed uh, this week's episode with Carrie Cohen. Um, we love chatting with people every week, which is what we do. And we love putting it out to you. And so thank you for taking time out of your week to listen. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. Hit the follow button on Spotify if you're over there. And uh, if you ever want to reach out, turn me on podcasts at gmail.com or you can slippity slide into the DMs over on Instagram, even though we don't really use our social yeah, media Yeah, just that send much. us an email because I went on to our Instagram today and I was like, there are so many messages here that I have not yeah, you right. know, people mention us in their stories and I haven't seen them. Yeah. So send us an email. We've gotten a lot of really great listener mail recently. Um, keep them coming. Yeah. Um, we definitely have some patrons to thank. I don't have that list. I just came right from school. I don't have that list prepared right now, but we will definitely 
get there we are so grateful to our patrons and those of you who continue to support us even through our summer hiatus our one month hiatus especially you and um, all of the people who have supported us through Patreon and you know through various email money transfers (laughs) over the years patreon.com slash termion if you want to be a part of the community Uh, folks thanks for tuning in this week we love each and every one of you and with that that is it for this week until next week don't touch yourself What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.